0: Previously on Hacker Valley Red. We're switching gears and introducing the first ever season of Hacker Valley Red. We talk
1: about what red actually can do for organizations and what the the path of somebody in the red side looks like. Do you feel like that you get in the same flow state on the artistic side that you do on the, the pen testing side? I would say totally. I think when somebody gets in their flow, you're in your flow for whatever it is you're doing. It's almost like being in a meditative state. That
2: money was instantly,
1: instantly gone. Mm. And so we know, now we knew at the conclusion of this that we had actually uncovered an attack technique that an attacker was actively using. We knew how much money he'd stolen. We knew where he was storing it. That's like a thief breaking into a house to rob the house, and there's someone already robbing the house. We named that person Blockchain Bandit and uh, broke the story with the Washington Post. Research led to actually the uncovery
0: of an attack in progress. That is insane.
1: This is the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. Exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology.
0: This season is sponsored by RiskIQ. RiskIQ assists organizations by continuously monitoring, extracting, and analyzing intelligence that they've been collecting for over 10 years. RiskIQ has created a comprehensive intelligence graph of the internet and it's been used by over 100,000 analysts. RiskIQ's platform powers threat investigations and can help your organization map, monitor and shrink your attack surface while proactively detecting threats in the wild. If you want to learn more, check them out at riskiq.com and thank them for also being our season sponsor. Welcome back to the finale of Hacker Valley Red. In this final episode, we've brought in a true friend to both Chris and I, Marco Figueroa, senior security researcher and solutions architect. In this episode, we talk about constant improvement, bug bounty, mentorship. Marco was a mentor to myself when I was first coming into security And this is the finale, so we really talk about all of the amazing guests that have come on this season and really highlight the strengths of all of our guests. And I cannot wait to share this episode and the full season of Hacker Valley Red. So let's jump right into it.
1: What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back
0: again here repping Hacker Valley Red. And we've brought in a family member of the Hacker Valley studio. Our good friend, a security researcher, a cybersecurity speaker, and also someone really interested and enthusiastic about Bug Bounty. We've brought in our brother from another mother, Marco Figueroa. Such a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. I am excited and ready to go. Marco, you have single-handedly changed my
1: life. But before we even get to that stuff, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, give us a little bit of your background and what you're doing today.
2: Sure. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of the last seven years, uh, eight years. Booz Allen Hamilton is very near and dear to my heart because uh, I met Ronald Eddings there. And I did reverse engineering there, reversing malware. I was there for a year. Then I moved over to McAfee in 2013. And that was an awesome experience. Reverse engineering malware, doing a lot of APT tracking. And I brought Ron over, I'm happy. We worked together there for two years. Then I moved over to Intel proper. At the time, McAfee was a subsidiary of Intel and I moved over into the IT side and did a lot of red teaming as well as threat intelligence for the IT side. And that was an amazing experience for two and a half years. And then in 2018, I moved over to do a low level security research for Intel, the PAR team. And that was awesome because I got to do a lot of low level UEFI understanding bios. And that was an amazing experience because I got to do a lot of fuzzing. I got to peek behind the curtain, see how the developers on that side, how they program, how we audit it, what we do to look for security bugs. And then from there, I just moved over to Sentinel One. I'm transitioning over, I would say.
1: That's outstanding. And congrats on the transition. Marco, first, I got to say thank you for being on this episode. This episode super special. This is the grand finale of the season, and we couldn't think of a better person to bring on. Also, we're getting dangerously close to 100 episodes, Ooh. and I would have to say thank you so much because I think it's really because of you and because of Ron why all of this is even possible. We lived together for three or four months and we just worked together and got better every single day. The studio gave birth to this podcast, it gave birth to your live streams and all that stuff. So first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for that.
2: Yes, sir. It was my <laughs> pleasure. It was a great experience every day going back and forth, just taking and pushing each other to another level, right? And I think that is more important, That that is near and dear to my heart, just Every day, having a conversation, trying to push yourself as far as you can.
0: If there's Absolutely. any new listeners out there, the backstory on all this is when we were all out in San Jose, California, we actually lived together for three months, all three of us, me, Marco, and Chris, while Chris's family was still transitioning to California. So to kind of have us all back here in the studio,
1: it's it's a little surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Super surreal. We definitely had to bring you on to Hacker Valley Red. Would love to hear a little bit about how you got into the community. How did you make your way and find your space? And then what were
2: some stories from those times when you first got in? Mm, Beautiful. So I've been in the game, in the community for a very long time. I was lucky enough to have my brother introduce me to hacking. And the first conference that i went to was hope in new york city and when i was at hope they were talking about something about defcon right and my brother and i decided to go to defcon it was defcon 8 was our first defcon and ever since then i have not stopped learning trying to become a better hacker trying to become a better person in general myself and Over the years, I just find the whole game interesting, right? You could never stop learning. There's new technologies coming out that you want to learn about and you try to peek behind the curtain, try to figure out what's that next step. And one of the things in the beginning of like being in this community, it felt like it wasn't an industry back then. It was just a community and everyone wanted to be a pen tester. And one of the things I thought about to myself was like, hold on, there's not a lot of security pen testing jobs out there and everybody's moving towards being a pen tester. What can I do that I know I could get a job doing it, but also be on the offensive side, right? And this is Mm -hmm. when I got into becoming a reverse engineer because I was like, for me, I know everyone's pen testing. Well, someone has to figure out how to look for these attacks. And that's when I became, I decided, hey, this is my lane. I'm going to learn how to reverse engineer malware because I know there's a lot of attacks going on. I need to understand that. And that's when I got books and I started reading and researching. Then I got a certification. And then after that, it was off to the running
1: as outstanding. You bring up two great points that was echoed throughout this entire season. One was with Ted Harrington when we talked about hacker is actually a mentality. A lot of people think about hacker, they think hooded character, doing bad things, but really hacker is a mentality when you are faced with problems and problem solving. Hacker is that methodology in which you solve that problem. And the other thing you bring up is the community. And we talked to Alex Rice about the beginning of the, the security research community, the, the beginning of the bug bounty community. All of those things are coincide with each other. How did you get introduced to bug bounty?
2: For me, when I look at reverse engineering as if you bought a power washer, right, you want to know how it works. You start taking the hose, you start taking the engine apart, and then you understand how it works. And it's the same thing with reverse engineering, Right on the defensive side, you kind of stop once you know how everything works, right? You write a report. Let's say it's malware. This specific piece of binary calls, you know, XYZ to a process It opens up a process. There's a call out, there's a stage two, right? Now on the offensive side, you go deeper. You start figuring out, okay, Once this call happens, can I throw specific characters to try to crash it? What can I do to take it a step further to look for bugs and then you can report it? That's the difference. And what interested me is I had a friend that did the same thing that I was doing, but he started doing bug bounties. So then I started looking into bug bounties and how to make a little bit extra money on the side on the weekends right? Because it's something that I love. And then I met a gentleman called Santiago Lopez, which kind of gave me a fast track to becoming a better bug bounty person. And one of the things that I really recommend is find your mentor in your lane, right? It doesn't matter how old he is or how young he is because Santiago Lopez is 19 years old, right? And he's my mentor. And I'm yeah. twice his age.
0: Yeah, we actually talked a little bit about Santi when we had Alex Rice. He's a co-founder of HackerOne. And he was saying that there's a whole, like you were saying, like it was previously a community and now it's an industry. He's saying He was saying it's the same thing for bug bounty. Talking about Santi and his level of expertise and being so young, but it's still such a small group of people that do the bug bounty. And I'm sure... Him and you are going to guide the industry, well, the community into an industry. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about and kind of get your take and opinion on is hacker mindset and a little bit of the psychology of hackers. You grew up in New York, and I think that out of all the people I know, you're one that really picks up on body language and signals and try to really ask yourself, what are people thinking? Do you think the same thing when you're looking at things like bug bounty or reverse engineering? Are you trying to understand the person that wrote a piece of software or wrote a piece of malware? How does that work?
2: Absolutely. That's a great question. One of the things that I do is try to put myself in that person's shoes. When I was reversing malware, I used to put myself in that Person shoes that wrote that malware that framework and one of the things once i created a report i would then say where is this going where is this framework going to go next if i was that person what would i do to then go ahead and take this framework to another level and it's the same thing when i'm doing any bug bounty hacking why did they write this What are they doing? What are they trying to explain? What did they miss? Right? Because the developer is just going to develop and, okay, on to the next task, right? So a lot of times, there's not those security protections in place that I know, okay, that developer did not think about checking a specific thing like an IDOR or a specific cookie or the way it logs out. They're just wanting to create a feature and move on to their next task and just continue to move on and, and do stuff. And they like security is for our testing team. Right. And I, for me, I feel like, okay, I can find something here. And that's, and my mentality is like, they miss something. And it's my job as a detective to go ahead and find it. And most of the times I do,
1: I love that. That's outstanding. Ron and I have been asking this question all season. So we got to ask you, is there such thing as an unhackable device? And if there is, what does it look like? (laughs) No, Hard no.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, I would say people that market that I I just, it's snake oil, right? I, I really do think that I always said, Like, or I would quote my brother back in 2004. Something that is unhackable is not on and in the closet and it's not doing anything. There's no interaction. It's done. It's in the attic. No one's touching it. Unless they open it, once they power something on, I believe it's hackable. I don't believe in that.
0: Mm. Right. We were even tossing around kind of even the possibility of it's still being hackable while it's in the closet. Maybe there's a battery somewhere or a something that can remotely boot it on. I, I think that's always a possibility too. Yeah. Do you think that there's anything that um, can lead us to the point to where things are pretty secure? You've seen a lot. You've seen exploits thrown in the wild. You've seen binaries. Is there any philosophies that you like to live by when trying to provide protection for yourself or an organization?
2: For me, I always tell people, look, if you think that you can't get hacked, that is a problem, right? There's always protections that you could put in place, but if a person's skilled enough and that has the time, they will get in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And my philosophy is like, you always have to improve and always test and always be methodical about how you're protecting your systems, because they're going to get in. It's just a matter of time, period. Mm. You guys always say the human element, right? And I think that is a big weakness, right? Yeah. The phishing emails organizations are always getting popped. It's not a coincidence why phishing emails still work.
1: And you bring up a good point. We had Rachel Toback on the this season, and she talked all about the social engineering aspect of the red side. And I mean, she's even done stuff for big news publications, doing stuff live. We tried to get her to hack Ron. We (laughs) ran out of time, (laughs) but maybe next time. When you look at things like the, the social engineering aspect, Why do you think people gravitate to it? Because I gravitated to it. And I'm good friends with Chris Hadnagy. And the reason we are friends is because he's an expert in the the methodologies and the philosophies of social engineering. I find that the human condition so fascinating, which is why we focus on the human element. What in this world of technology, in this community that is based in technology, why are we obsessed with human beings?
2: I mean, look as a hacker, you know, it's just like a system. You can try to go ahead and exploit and get someone to do what you want. So I think you could look at it two ways, right? From a human element, I love people. I'm a social creature. I love having like-minded conversations, right? And it doesn't matter A lot of people is like, oh, I'm social engineering. There's sometimes you're just having a good conversation and you're positioning yourself to say, hey, look, man, this relationship, it's great. And I want to position myself to be like, I'm open, right? You always see your body postures and how someone stands. And that is a micro like element of social engineering. If I see someone standing in front of me and I want to have a conversation and they're not open I'm like, okay, I got to change my approach to this. So, yeah, I I think it's super important when you're having conversation, interviews, anything, it all matters. It all counts.
0: 100%. Totally agree. And I think, like, kind of going back to what I was saying, you're one of the people that I know that dresses a certain way, is very methodical about how you position and approach conversations. I think one of the things that is often overlooked in our community is building relationships, whether you're building relationships to conduct an attack or you're building relationships to promote and boost your career. What kind of things are you doing these days to make sure that you stay relevant and also promote Marco and promote all the things that you're working on?
2: Yeah, I think now it's harder, right? It's harder now because of COVID and everyone's locked in. But what I'm trying to do now is trying to reach out and have meaningful conversations. How can I provide value to someone? I think that's the first thing I've been trying to ask myself. And I even like tweet that out sometimes. Hey, reach out to me, DM me, let me know how can I provide value to anyone that needs it? Because we are going through some of the hardest times of our lives and being indoors, everything is like closing up, especially in California. They went ahead and rolled back their everything. So everything is like closed. So we're back into square one, even though they're going and opening up stores and now we, we get to go out. But for me, I'm trying to reach out to people on LinkedIn and have meaningful conversations what I do is create a list of people that I want to speak to during the week. What I try to do is every Sunday have a conversation, either a friend, a family member, just one hour conversation. And I schedule that into my schedule, have a meaningful conversation with someone and it's different, right? There's no, I, I can't tell you the last time I got dressed up to go somewhere. Yeah. It's different. I
1: think that's a powerful exercise, talking to somebody every Sunday. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit. Do you pick a different person every Sunday? Is there a methodology of how you choose the person? Is it just kind of based on feeling and intuition? How does that kind of unfold?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I have, I'll give you a great example for family members. My father, I speak to him every two weeks on Monday before wrestling starts. So I have a reminder on my phone to give him a call at 745 because I know he's home and I know he's going to watch wrestling right now on Sundays. I have a specific list just of different people that I want to reach out to and talk to right they're They're different. It goes like there's certain people I speak to once every six months. Right. And I make sure that I put that into my schedule my to-do list is to have a call with, I have a list of like 15 people. Okay. One of those people I'm going to reach out to. Usually I text them and then go ahead and schedule something because everyone's busy now, right? Mm -hmm. Even though we're home, everyone is still busy. They're doing stuff. So I respect that. And I try to commit for a certain time with them when they're open and have just a conversation. Hey, what's been going on? What's new? That's what I try to do every Sunday. And on
0: the Sundays, you also have a live stream. And I think there's a huge parallel between the researchers and experienced practitioners that are also content creators. I think like we've heard Jim Quick say, our memory coach, if you teach it, you get to learn it twice. Mm -hmm. So what's the importance of content creation to you and what kind of things are you trying to create and give back to the community?
2: Yeah, I think it's important. One of the things I love doing is learning, right? And like you just said, if you learn something and you want to teach it, it feels good when you start teaching people or you start sharing content. And that's important to me. What can I do to provide value, right? I'm creating a course, I'm doing the hacker's mindset Sunday conversations with different technical folks and doing live streams. And for me, It makes me feel good because number one, one is better than zero. So if one person views it, it's better than zero. And that's the way I look at it every single time. If one person gets it, I'm okay with that. And that's why I try to go ahead and put things out there. Sunday conversation, I think in the near future, in the fall, I'm going to probably do mid, mid-week streams or midweek videos on productivity, right? Because it's something that I love and I think I can teach someone from building new habits to the best note-taking app and how I use it. I just love doing that. I love to share, teach, and it's something that I think getting that feedback is super important.
1: So I'd love to unpack that hacker's mindset or the, the hacker's mentality. And it's such a hard thing to kind of put into a box because that's what makes it beautiful is that it has these different avenues and different tweaks and tools that you can use. From your perspective, what is the hacker's mindset or the hacker's mentality?
2: I think it's just growing, right? Growth and learning. Right. A lot of times people want to put it into a box. Oh, hacker this or hacker that. A hacker to me is someone that wants to learn, understand things deeply, not just surface clouds of dirt, right? From the highest level all the way into getting into the thick of things. And that to me is what a hacker is.
0: Another question that came up a lot on this season is do you have to have the experience of knowing how to code? to be a hacker does that make your life easier as a hacker does it do anything where does the experience of the most talented professionals and practitioners that attack devices do they know how to code what are your thoughts on it marco
2: yeah i don't think you like need to know coding to hack no i don't believe that right but i'll give you a story back in 2013 14 I was working at McAfee and we were building out a specific tool and one of the things was I was running into this wall of, I want this done this way, or I want to add this feature, right? But the developer that was working with us, shout out to Josh Porter, he was like, look, that's not a high priority on my list, right? So one of the things that I decided to start doing is like, okay, I need to start learning how to code because I want these things inside of this program. Right. I didn't get to do it because I transitioned out, but that gave me a sense of saying, okay, if I want something done right, the way I want it done, I can't rely on someone else to do it. And I think that's where, when you start to learn how to code, that's the benefit, right? Because there's tools out there. I'm not going to rewrite Nmap, right? You have nmap, right? And you have burp suite. And with those things, (laughs) you can go ahead and hack and understand. And some of the best hackers do not really code like that on the bug bounty side, right? So they're just good and they know how to look at things and how to hack and use burp suite and use these different tools. And they understand code. They know how to read it, but they don't develop at all.
1: Right. Let's say there's someone listening right now. They're super interested in the red side of the house. What would you advise them to do in the beginning? Like they're just getting their feet wet. They want to learn as much as possible.
2: They're hungry. Where do they start first? I think going back to the mindset, don't quit. Trust the process. Create a to-do list on things you want to like learn and do. And I could give you books, give you training. A lot of people, once it starts getting hard and they hit that wall, they stop. And I think figuring out how to push that boundary of pain is important because this shit is not easy. It's not. And once it starts getting hard, you need to start figuring out, okay, how do I push past that pain when it's really hard and I don't understand stuff? Am I willing to go ahead and take a week just to understand something that should take me one day? And one of the things for me that I like pride myself is I know there's a lot of people out there that are way smarter than me, but you won't outwork me, period. I know that. I will put my life on the line. I will win regardless. So that's the difference. That's pushing that boundary. I don't care if something takes me a month, two months, eight months. I'm going to do it and I'm not going to quit because I set out to tackle that, right? So one of the things that I would tell anyone is be persistent, be patient, trust the process, grind. It's not going to come overnight. But one day at a time, then that becomes one week at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time. and Trust the process until you get there.
0: Spoken like a true warrior. That's warrior's mindset. Like if you mm-hmm. can learn to respect and love the process, then I think then you're kind of going down the path of becoming unstoppable. And speaking of, like you were saying, the resistance, the difficulty of learning, mm-hmm. that's true because it is it is very difficult and hard to think about one thing specifically. And I have a funny story. When Marco and I, we first met, he told me to buy a book. It was a C plus C++ book. And this book was around, I want to say like 350 pages. And also for someone that didn't code, it was kind of like a daunting task. Like, how am I going to learn? 350 pages of a foreign programming language when I don't even program. So you also gave me another piece of advice and it was like, hey, how do you move Mount Everest? It's one piece at a time. I think that was Mm -hmm. one of those nuggets. that I think anyone that's in bug bounty, pen testing, red team can really take away and implement. Just move one piece at a time.
2: Yep. And that's exactly what I always say. One pebble at a time, one rock at a time, one bowl at a time. Trust the process.
0: So we had some guests on that were car hackers, some social engineers. We had one that explored all the flaws and APIs. And you're also coming from a unique perspective with reverse engineering and bug bounty. Mm-hmm. So with all of those different avenues of attacking and defending What's on your horizon? What do you see down the down the pipe of adversary bug bounty red teaming? What's on your horizon?
2: I think for me and I would recommend everyone, some people's like, "Oh, I only am a defender, right?" Or I only do pen testing. For me, I always recommend do both. Get really good at both. And For me, I continue to read APT reports and at the current time, I'm a security researcher looking at low level stuff, but I still am interested at the newest techniques, what they're doing. Let me go ahead and reverse some new binary to see if I see new techniques. Right. And it's, it's a good balance of offensive and defensive and Once you have that, you get a better outlook at where everything is going. You have, it's like a detective. You get more clues, you start solving the cases. And for me, I try to look ahead. Where is the industry going on the offensive side and defensive side? Mm, That's beautiful. And I think it's so funny that we actually all three of
1: us do that same thing. In episode one, I talked about how my first certs and my first courses, they were all on the red side of the house. And I really think that really helped me, especially in threat intelligence. But just being a cybersecurity professional writ large, Ron, I'd love to hear from you about what your biggest takeaway from the season was.
0: My biggest takeaway, I would have to say, is the mentorship. There's so many guests that we've had on, like Ted Harrington, Rachel Toback, Alyssa Knight, and also Marco. Everyone has positive experiences and always puts mentorship in the front of the conversation. I think anyone that seeks and provides mentorship is going to really be able to take themselves and the whole industry at large to the next level.
1: I like that. I like that a lot.
2: Yeah, I think just to add on to that, like mentorship is crucial, For me, like I always try to find a mentor, whether it's fitness, whether it's offensive or defensive or business, I'm always looking ahead. I always say I have all these consigliatis, right? (laughs) I have all of them and I get to choose advice from these experts. I've saved years having mentors years because I don't have to do the research. All I have to do is ask the questions and I know the path they took. It's going to help me make better decisions.
1: I think you are 100% right. And I think it works for both mentors and books because quite often when you read a book, if someone is putting all of their research, they've been doing something for 20 years and they put that all the stuff that's in their brain, all the stuff that they've observed into a book that's how much time you're saving by reading that book. You don't have to live the life that that author lived. You can actually just read all of the most important points in their book. And I think that's such a huge time saver is reaching out to people, finding those mentors. What goes into finding that mentor? If you're looking to get, whether it's personal growth or professional growth, how do you go about finding your mentor?
2: Oh, that's a great question. One of the things that you just mentioned, I, it's near and dear to my heart again, right? Reading books is a part of what I do every day. When I wake up, I make sure I read for 30 minutes, right? And a lot of times when I read, yeah, I take my notes and everything like that. But sometimes I reach out to the authors if they're not super big like a Warren Buffett, but I try to reach out to the authors and have questions, right? I believe note-taking is super important. And that's a part of my life too. And when I go ahead and look for a mentor like Santi, Santiago, right? When I met him, I said, man, this dude has a lot of knowledge. Now, I don't know if he's going to mentor me, but I am not going to go and ask someone like, I have calculated questions. And I believe in that, like, you don't want to waste someone's time by asking them what they eat and and what they do, right? The questions that I write is very calculated because I want specific answers and I know it's going to take me to that next level. And then also just not wasting their time, right? So if I ask Santi, hey, what course do you recommend to take me to that next level? The first thing he said was, like, get good at a few things. And then once you get good, go ahead and go to Udemy and take this specific course. That was helpful to me. As soon as he told me, hey, go ahead and try to be a master at IDOR. That's what I do, right? And I was like, okay, great. The first bug I found, even though it was a duplicate, was a week after he told me to read two articles. and start on a course. So Mm. that showed me right there. Okay. I'm on the right path. Let me create better questions for him. And I try to not waste people's time. And when I am thoughtful with my questions, I believe people appreciate that. And that's super important. Be calculated because you're asking someone to help you and they're taking their time out to give you their knowledge. So I've always done that. I've always done that. Back earlier in my career, when I went to DEFCON 9 and 10 and 11, I used to take the book, who was talking, what was interesting, and then I would watch the talk. But before watching the talk, I would do research on what they were talking about and what they enjoyed. So if I did have a question, I could have a background to be like, look, I took the time out to not only research the person you are, but as well as I had these questions. And that for me cuts the time on, on learning because they already did the research. So I always thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to ask a question to someone, I better know them, even though they don't know me, but I got to respect their time and not just ask them generic questions. Very thoughtful, very calculated, so I could get the result I want in the future.
0: There is something that you said that really struck a chord with me and made me remember kind of how we've all arrived here, and that's by taking an opportunity and taking an action towards it. So Santi told you about eye doors. He told you about a specific bug bounty technique And you went ahead and you were like, all right, he's distilled years of research down to a few lines for me. Now, let me give it a shot. We had another guest, Rachel Toback. Her husband works in cybersecurity, and he was asking her, you know a lot about neuroscience and psychology. You should come out to DEF CON and win this social engineering contest because there's no code and you could literally hack the person's mind but you got to give it a shot in order to get good at it. So I think that's also been one of the fundamental takeaways of this specific season is putting yourself out there and also taking that first shot to work towards your goals.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I always do talking about goals is setting them. Setting goals and then hitting them. And for me, I never run out of of goals, right? I want to get better at this than... At Bug Bounty, I set a plan for myself and that's the goal, right? I got to do this course. Then I got to reach out to my mentor. Hey, I knocked out that course. What's my next? What do you recommend that's next for me? Right? And he also, with myself, we create a plan for me to get better. That's how I live my life. I try to go ahead and get better every day. And the question that I always ask myself at the end of the night is the same every night am I better than yesterday's Marco? And then I create a schedule to make sure for the next day that I'm going to be better than yesterday's Marco. It's
1: you versus you. It takes people so long to learn that a lot of people think they got to be versus somebody else. Like, oh, I got to beat them. I got to be better than them. If you're just better than yourself every day, think about the, the progress that you'd make in a year. Think about the progress that you'd make in five years, 10 years, 30 years doing something. You'd be the best in the world at whatever it is that you decide that you want to be the best at. And that's one of the blinders, the self-limiting beliefs that people kind of put on themselves is they only think short term and they also look at other people. So if you really wanted to get good at chess and you did chess every day for 10 years, you're probably going to end up being a pretty good chess player just like the, the stuff that we're doing with content creation, like this, this podcast that we have. We're almost at 100 episodes. We're about to wrap, wrap up this season. We're doing things that are different. We're doing things that people understand and everything in between. I'd love to hear where you want to take your content creation going on from here.
2: Yeah, I, I think taking a step back, you're so right about like just getting better. A lot of people listen take the example you just said about the chess player. You look at a master chess player and is like, oh, I could never get to there. So you stop practicing because your goal was there. One of the examples, I had a conversation around five, six years ago at DEF CON, and he was comparing himself to one of the leaders or thought leaders in the industry. And I'm like, man, you have to take a step back and you're only looking forward and people that are ahead of you in a certain skill set, where you need to stop, smell the roses, turn around and look at the people that look up to you, that you're ahead of and help them also take themselves to another level. And you're going to get there, but just trust that process of that grind and that Researcher that is putting out some content that you like, man, I wish I was there on a skill level. I think for me, it's a nice bar to look at. And you just got to set a roadmap and they're going to continue getting better. So it's constantly, are you willing to put that work in to get better? And it's the same thing why I feel like when I create content, it's important because it helps me grow, it helps me teach other people skills, but then reinforces what I know and putting it out there to help people that are not at your level. A lot of people continue to look forward, but it's it's important to help people coming up. That's important to me too, because one of the things initially in the game, I didn't have that help. I didn't have that mentorship, right? I I did uh, for the first two, three years. I was just trying to figure it out. And I was like, I'm just going to keep on grinding. I'm going to trust the process. I know I'm going to win because I'm just persistent. And once I started getting better and learning stuff, that's all I had. I was like, okay, this is, I see that I'm building this car, right? Now it has wheels. Now we're moving and I keep on going. Now I feel like I'm doing 180 in the left lane and there's no stopping me. (laughs) because I know myself way better. I know how I learn. I know myself. I'm so self-aware of what I could do and the possibilities of me doing it. Right. And that's super important. A lot of people are not self-aware and they just continue to do the same thing, looking for a different result. And I think I constantly try to recalibrate myself constantly by reaching out to these mentors to be like, "Hey, am I on the right path?" I'm asking myself, "Am I on the right path?" Let me reach out to someone. And there's many times that I reach out to Ron as a sounding board. "Hey, what do you think of this? Here's my thoughts. Now let me get your thoughts and let's compare those notes." And I think a lot of people are scared to be wrong, and it's okay. Failure is part of the growth people are scared to fail. I look forward to it, not on purpose, but I mean, when I fail, it's, it's just a stepping stone. It's not like I'm going to beat myself up. It's just like, okay, now I know I won't do that anymore. It's time to take myself to another level. I have that nugget, that failure. It's tracked off.
1: What an incredible finale. What an incredible season. We've learned so much about the red side of the house. Learned more about these amazing professionals. And Marco, especially thank you to you for being on this finale, for hopping on the mics with us. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for taking the time to do that. I wouldn't end this season any other way. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the stuff that you have going on, what are the best ways that people can do that?
2: Yeah, you could reach out to me on Twitter, at Marco Figueroa, and also on LinkedIn, same way. And for me, the listeners out there, guys, reach out to me. I would love to help you guys in any way and provide you value. That brings me joy. And to you guys, both of you, you guys mean so much to me. I greatly appreciate that you guys are in my life. And you guys take me to another level and push me to another level. And I think seeing what you've guys created, it's amazing because I feel like I'm on that journey with you guys, seeing you guys grow and it helps push me right in a healthy way. It's so motivating to see you guys grow and take it to another level. It is inspiring and people that feel a certain way, take inspiration out of these Podcasts these seasons they mean the world not only to them but also to myself i listen to the podcast and take notes and i greatly appreciate the effort you guys have done and put in the work that you guys put in and i greatly appreciate it and i'm sure i'm speaking to the listeners they are they're excited for this season to come out as well
0: thank you and we will pave this path together Truly appreciate having you. I would highly recommend everyone to reach out to Marco, even follow the live stream, The Hacker's Mindset. Truly appreciate it. I'm excited to wrap this season up, send it out to the listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this season of Hacker Valley Red, and we'll speak to everybody soon.